God is doing a lot of stuff in our church, and my prayer is that today would be no exception uh, for what he's going to want to do to you, but also, my prayer is also the impact that he might make in you today would impact a lot of other people uh, in the days, weeks, months, and years ahead. And, and so I want to welcome you to the second to last week you know, of this series called Rooted, where we looked at our connection with God and our purpose in this world. And today is no different as we continue on with our purpose being here. So to start with, I want to ask you this question that I asked on social media. Uh, what's the easiest thing or subject for you to talk about? What is the easiest thing or subject for you to talk about. So if you haven't done so already, turn to your neighbor, introduce yourself to them, and just tell them, what's the easiest thing? Because as strangers, this should be easy to talk about. What's that thing? Go ahead and do that now. All right, I want to hear a few of these. See if we got any different ones. What do you love talking about? Sports. sports. Okay, how many of you guys said sports? Okay. Somebody else? Gardening. Gardening. Kids. That's right. How many of you guys said kids? That's what I thought. Work. How many of you guys said work? Don't talk about work. Somebody else? Boating. Golf. Jesus, thank you. That is the right answer. <laughs> what was the other one back there? The Zags. How many of you guys excited about the Zags? Sweet 16, five years in a row. I want to ask this question, you know, on social media. By far, you know, kids was the number one answer. Uh, sports, you know, was a close two. A lot of guys put down cars, you know, vehicles. Uh, animals were also mentioned, you know, a lot. Talk about my animals. The only wrong answer was Lori, who said cats. You know, just there is a right and wrong answer, and so there's, there's the wrong one. That's right. I booed it, too. You know, I completely agree. Um, my favorite, though, is uh, what Jesse wrote. He said, I love talking to people about my recovery. I'm almost six months clean and sober, and I'm looking forward to helping others to do the same. Isn't that cool? God continues to work. Now, think about the last time that you heard this phrase or you said this phrase. You gotta try. You gotta go. You gotta experience. You know, it's something that you're passionate about. You might say, you know, it's a restaurant, you know, or this food, I mean, it tastes so good. You're like, you guys, you gotta try this coffee or this kale salad. No, let's be real. Nobody (laughs) ever says you got to try kale salad, you know, but, uh, you know, there should be other like real food, you know, uh, uh, a, a new store and experience, but you find yourself doing that. When you, when you go through an experience, you, you have an engagement, you get excited about it. You want to share it, right? You want to let other people know, and you want to clue them in on something that's made a difference. Or you're excited, you know, about, you know, for me, it's really easy for me to talk about my family. That's really, really easy. It's easy uh, for me to talk about, you know, sports, you know, and talk about VRL. So it's easy to talk about the Zags. It's easy for me to talk about the Seahawks. I get a lot of positive affirmation. I mentioned the Huskies, and some of you guys are not as positive, you know, when I talk about, you know, my Huskies who are facing North Carolina today. They've had a good run. Um, I I even don't mind, you know, talking about, you know, my Mariners, number one team in baseball. 
two games up on everybody, everybody in baseball, you know, undefeated season. Here we come. You know, it's awesome. Mariners, you got to take it when you can because they're going to be terrible this year. But uh, I love, you know, I love that. I love talking about, you know, God. I love talking about the things that he's doing around here. I love talking about you. I love talking about when I come across stories like Ken and others that are happening so much around here. I just can't help but share that. Now, what's interesting uh, is, is if I were to ask you how important Jesus you know, is in your life, uh, even if you're not a follower of Christ, there, at least there's some interest that would actually get you here. For a lot of you who are followers of Jesus, he'd probably be something that you are passionate about, at least top three, you know, that you are uh, meaningful and important in your life. Yet, it's not easy to share with others about Jesus in the same way that we share other things in our lives. Why is that? See, it's interesting that the longer you become a follower of Christ, there are things that get easier. Maybe it's reading the Bible. Maybe it's coming to church on a regular basis. Uh, maybe it's serving. Maybe it's praying or praying out loud. The longer you're a follower of Christ, some of those things get easier over time. But it's funny, the opposite almost happens with those who have been followers of Christ for a longer period of time, it gets almost harder and harder to share your faith than when you first came, it was, felt like it was so easy. So why, why is that? See, why is sharing our faith difficult for so many of us to do? And I think that there is a number of reasons, a number of good reasons. And so I'm going to put up on the screen probably five reasons or so that I've most commonly hear. And here's what I want you to do. Evaluate and see if any of these reasons apply to you. Or which one that you would say is probably the one that most applies to your reason for not maybe being as enthusiastic and sharing about your faith as you would other areas of your life. Maybe it's the fear of rejection. Remember, I care a lot about what other people think, and so I really kind of downplay it because I'm afraid of what they're going to do to me or how they're going to label me or how they're going to you know, ostracize me. I always have a good time uh, whenever I get a chance. I know it's about once a year or twice a year. When I go to get a chance to go golfing. And when I go golfing, uh, everybody's always kind of, hey, what's going on? But it's always the third hole. I have no idea why it's only the third hole. The third hole, then the question comes out, what do you do for a living? Now, in uh, uh, holes one and two, there's a lot of drinking and swearing and, you know, just rousing it up, dirty jokes left and right, you know, that kind of stuff. And then they ask, what do you do? Oh, by the way, I'm not the one who's drinking and swearing and the dirty jokes. I want to make sure. Make sure that's clear, you know, uh, but then they ask, what do you do for a living, you know, and so uh, as I hit the ball out of the bushes somewhere, you know, because that's usually where it is, you know, I'll tell them, you know, I'm a pastor, and then they're like, oh, all of a sudden they look horrified, you know, <laughs> and they're just like, I'm so sorry for, and you know, kind of stuff, it's okay, then it's just awkward the rest of the time, they're you're like, oh, I can't say that because the pastor's here, so I try to fool them, you know, like, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a spiritual advisor to those who want it, you know, and they're like, ooh, that sounds interesting, you know, because uh, that could be number of things, but it could be fear of rejection, right, for you. Uh, maybe it's the awkwardness of spiritual conversations with those who believe differently, right? It could be weird, like, okay, you completely don't believe, and so it just feels weird. Uh, if you've never had that feeling, uh, it could be if you're passionate about politics, this is, can get kind of weird. If you're super passionate about politics, and you're a Republican trying to talk to a Democrat who's super passionate about politics, that can get awkward, you know, that can get, uh, you know, divisive. Or you're a Democrat who's super passionate about a Democrat and you're talking to a Republican and you see this. Or you're an independent and you're trying to show that neither party is perfect. You know, uh, it can be just very volatile in that conversation. So you get a little idea of maybe what it feels like to try to share with, diff uh, with Jesus with those who might believe differently. What about anxiety? Anxiety of being asked questions you can't answer. She's like, I don't want to share because this person 
was gonna throw some things back at me that I'm not gonna be able to actually tell them. Nobody likes to feel dumb. Uh, maybe you worry about whether your life matches up to the quote-unquote Christian standards. So you're like, oh, I can't share with my neighbor because they saw me and, oh, they called me out or they know and, oh, it's just, it's just weird. Or maybe you don't have any real relationships with people outside the faith. Like we said, you've got a circle, you know, friends, uh, of people who are followers of Christ and the longer you've gone on, you just don't have regular real relationships. You might be too busy to get involved in somebody's life. So here's the question for you. Does any of these apply to you? Any one of the five? If it does, go ahead and raise your hand. Any of the five? Okay, look around, look around, look around. See. Okay, so all, almost all of us are in the same boat here. So my prayer is the rest of our time together that we might eliminate change or get rid of some of these reasons. And you might walk out of here a little more excited and passionate about sharing your faith like you would other areas that you're excited and passionate about. You gotta would also apply to Christianity. So let's start not with us, but let's actually start with God. God, as you know, is passionate about people far from him. Would you agree? God is passionate about people far from him. God's story is the greatest story ever told. You know, God who created the universe, mankind, Adam and Eve, garden, all that kind of stuff, perfect in his creation, but he gave us ability to choose and we jacked it up. Now that's not like in the Bible, it doesn't say jacked it up, just so you know, if you're like, I didn't see that in my version. It's the Dan's message version, so you can do that. So we jacked it up, sin enters the world, God is a holy God, perfect, he can't be in, you know, contact with sin on a regular basis, and so there's separation between us and God. We get kicked out of the garden, and we can't blame everything on Adam and Eve because we make the same choices on a regular basis. And so sin enters the world, God says, you know what, I'm going to set up two things. One, I'm going to create a people that's going to represent me to the world. And so he chooses Abram, becomes Abraham, the Jewish people, to represent him to the world. At least that was the plan. And then secondly, he sets up a sacrificial system through the Jewish people so that they can have somewhat relationship with him. Now, without going into lots of detail, the entire Old Testament points to a coming, what they would call a savior, a Messiah, a chosen one who would come and bring things back in the way that it was intended in the Garden of Eden. And so there, the people begin to look for this Messiah, this Christ, this chosen one who's gonna bring things back like what they saw in the Garden of Eden. And God loves us so much that he says, I'll be that person. He goes, I will be that person. So God comes down in human form, and his name is Jesus. But this is why. It's because God loves us this much. He's passionate about us. He's willing to go to great lengths to connect to us. So John 3.16, if you've seen those at football games, right? You'd be able to show up those signs, John 3.16. You know, people are like, what is that? You know, and this is what it says. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Judgment is coming later. But this is the reason he came this first time. Jesus' purpose, he says, my purpose is I'm not coming to the sick I mean, I'm not coming to healthy, I'm coming to the sick. That's who I'm coming for. Healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Well, who are the sick people? Well, Luke 19 tells us, for the Son of Man came in to seek and to save those who are lost, those who are farthest from God. That's why he came. So Jesus says, you know what? That's all of us. All of us are far from God. So he takes the punishment that was rightly due to us because of our sinful nature on the cross, proven by the resurrection. There's no resurrection. Then Jesus is just a fanatic or a really great prophet, maybe some special teacher who did some great things but just died a brutal and horrible death. But the resurrection is what proves that everything you said and did is real. And it's meant for us. Now, some people think that Christianity 
The purpose of telling people about Christ is so that they and you and I can go to heaven. And we're going to have a series about heaven, you know, uh, coming up in a number of weeks so that we can kind of discuss what is it that we're going to be spending all eternity with and for. We're just going to be on the clouds and worship songs and one long church service. I mean, is that what it is? Some people actually think that. They're like, wow, I can, I'm starting to look at the clock 55 minutes when Dan's speaking, you know. <laughs> Is that what heaven's going to be like? So we're going to actually look at what is heaven, what is this place that we're going to. But if heaven was the point, if heaven was the main point, even though it is a point, then why wouldn't we just go to heaven when we accept the Christ? Right? Accept Christ. Poof. Well, that'd be kind of weird though, wouldn't it? You know, all of a sudden, accept Christ. Poof. There goes somebody else. Poof. There goes somebody else. We'd freak out a lot of people. And either it would uh, actually encourage people to accept Christ or the people would be like, I am not going away permanently because I don't know where these people are gone, you know, but it's not. We don't go poof when you accept Jesus Christ because accepting Christ isn't just about heaven. That's the end result. That's the awesome, you know, uh, privilege of connecting with God eternally and with one another, but there's still something on this side of eternity that God wants to do in us, conforming us into the image of a son and through us, and this is one of the things that we're talking about together. God is very patient like, God, I just wish this whole thing would end. There's too much pain, there's too much suffering. But Second Peter reminds us, remember our Lord's patience, far greater than mine, gives people time to be saved. This is why. So here's the point. If you get nothing else, here's the point. I want you to think through this. If Jesus is so passionate about people far from him, which you and I would agree, and we are passionate about Jesus, shouldn't we be passionate about people far from him? If Jesus is passionate, the reason in which he came was for those who are far from him and we're passionate about Jesus, shouldn't we be passionate about people far from him? And for some of us, we are. As a church, we definitely are. The way we say it here is our vision statement here at the church is to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. We exist, one of our primary reasons we exist are for those who are not yet here because we're trying to be like Jesus. So one way to do this, and you've heard us say this if you've been here a number of years, but let me just kind of remind us, is to invest and invite. To invest and invite. God has placed someone in your sphere of influence, not my sphere of influence, some relationship at work, at school, a neighbor, a friend, a family member, somebody in your life who does not yet know Jesus. And he's hoping to use you to be able to reach or at least share with that person to invest or invite. Maybe in the past you've heard us say, so who's your one? Who's their one? There's probably more than one, but who's the one in your life? So how do we invest and invite? How do we invest and invite? Well, sometimes we skip the first step, which it starts with prayer. If you look at the things that you're passionate about, the things that you care about, oftentimes are the things that you pray about. Think about your prayers. Think about what you've prayed the last week. And you'll find a correlation that a lot of the things that you're praying about are things that you care about. So when's the last time that you prayed for someone who does not yet know Jesus? Because here's what also will happen. When you begin to pray for people specifically by name who's in your sphere of influence, who doesn't know Jesus, you'll actually really start caring about those people as well. Your heart will begin to change and morph along those lines. Uh, it's one of the reasons why, if you haven't noticed, during our communion time, every single week, there is a prompt during our prayer time to pray for somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Hopefully once a week, you're getting an opportunity and a challenge to pray for someone who doesn't know Jesus. It's why we have these uh, uh, names that are written on the baptistry. There's pens that are there every single week 
that uh, you would be reminded every time somebody gets baptized for, to pray for the person who does get baptized, but also for the person that one day God will use you to reach out to them. And nothing gets me more excited than watching you baptize your family, your friends, your coworkers, and neighbors. That's just awesome to see. And for some of you who still think that our cross is broken, the lights aren't working, we got maintenance issues, that's not the case. Every single time someone accepts Christ and then follows that decision by getting baptized, they go over the cross, and if you go close to the cross, you will actually see names of every single person who's been baptized you know, within the last, I think it's now six or seven months now. And every time they come out, they get to turn on the light and they get to write their name, and we get to be reminded about the opportunity of maybe, as we prayed, they went from there, and then we get to see them go there. It's a reminder for us. That's one thing that we care about here. Uh, it continues, though. So prayer is the first step, but it continues not only to pray, but to invest intentionally. It doesn't happen by accident. It has to be intentionally. To build relationships that are based on love, that they're not based on being a project. Have you ever been a project to somebody where the only reason they wanted to be in your relationship was they wanted to sell something to you? You know, they, they wanted to be buddies with you because they had insurance to sell, or they had, you know, something else that they wanted to make sure that's the only reason I'm not downing insurance people, by the way, don't leave our church because I said that. I have insurance, you guys are great people. But if that's, a, if that's the only reason that you're in that relationship, ever been sold to? And you're like, ooh, you're only that. that's not the way Jesus has called us to. You understand, Jesus hung out with those who were sinners, those who were far from God. And those people didn't feel like projects. They felt like, actually, somebody's caring and loving me. Uh, let me give you kind of a, a different example of how this intentional investment looks like where people don't become projects, but you still try as best you can to lead them to the light side. Let me use an example as a Seahawk fan, okay? I love Brad Pasnell, who's on our staff, even though he's a Dallas Cowboy fan, okay? I love Scott Sparley, who's also on our staff, even though he is a 49er fan. Exactly. My love for them is unconditional. I will try to tell them the truth, the saving knowledge of understanding that they are on the wrong side of history and morality because they've not yet come over to find that their allegiance should be aligned with the Seahawks. And I have tried for three and a half years, banging my head against a proverbial brick wall, trying to let these guys that they are sinners, far from the realities and the truth of what should be real in their lives, and they still refuse to admit it, and I don't judge them for it, except for a couple times a year when we might play their team. I don't look down on them. I try not to make fun of them, even though that's a little easier you know, said than done, but at the same time, I'm still always trying to convince them of the truth that the Seahawks will set them free. <laughs> One day, one day. But I still love him. I love him. But seriously, when it comes to Jesus, can we do the same thing? They, they may not ever ascribe or follow along with the team in which I am aligned with, but I can still reach out, love, connect, and even share in many different ways by investing in relationship. So we pray. We invest, and then do we have the courage to invite, invite them into a relationship with Jesus, or even invite them to church or places where they can connect to Jesus and other people. And, and we do this every week. Every Sunday, you're going to have an opportunity. We always give you an opportunity. Invite your friends, because we're always going to have an opportunity to accept Christ. And maybe you're that person here today that you don't even realize yet that by the time you walk out, you're going to be different than when you came in. 
But there are also there are other places and opportunities. Our kids' ministry, they get a chance to invite. We've taken what uh, those of you who've grown up and known about VBS, and we applied it to Sunday services uh, a couple times a year. And so they have a chance to invite their friends to come, and we see a lot of kids who are excited about telling their friends and reaching them. What a great habit to begin. Those of you who are in middle school, you know, in high school ministry, uh, you understand that you have a unique time in your life that you'll never have again. You have six, or if you count lunch, seven opportunities a day to connect with people far from God, and it changes every hour. And you walk into a classroom. Are you able to identify someone who doesn't know Jesus? Can you invest? Can you pray for? Can you reach out? Period three, lunch, period five, period six. There's an opportunity that you won't ever have again that God wants to use you in the lives of other people. Or maybe, you know, there's specific events, calendars that make it more uh, available, more open for an invitation. Like maybe you've heard of this. Easter is coming, okay? Easter is actually gonna be here in a few weeks. And just like Christmas Eve, it is one of the most opportune times for people in our culture in America that they're still open to attending a service. At the very least, to come to an egg hunt to think about a service. So we'll have 11 services between two campuses. We'll have multiple egg hunts. We're trying to give any reason while people will be able to come and potentially hear about the life-saving message of Jesus Christ. And he wants to use you. And so we have invites, you know, as you leave, you're going to see social media posts you can share. You're going to see all these different things that are out there per normal that gives us an opportunity. Now, here's what I could tell you in my own life. There's always a few that say yes. They haven't gone beyond Easter, but they keep coming on Easter. And I'm just praying that maybe that's the next step for them as well. So I'm in it. Are you in it? Uh, here's the other thing, you know, to be able to, to process, you know, as we go through this is uh, the best way to do this, and it combines prayer and investment, is if you're in a small group, this is what I always say, starting this week, go around the circle and, and ask this question, who are you praying for an invitation to be able to come to, to services during Easter? And write that person's name down or multiple names, go around and pray for them by name, come back the next week and ask them, have you invited them yet? People will be like, oh, I haven't invited them yet. That's okay, we still got two more weeks. And you pray for them again, and you pray for them again, and you watch to see how God works because you're praying you're invested already, and now you're inviting. It happens on a regular basis. God also uses other ways uh, that we can communicate to others that we're followers of Jesus in the same way that I communicate to others that I'm a Seahawk fan. Right? I don't just tell you I'm a Seahawk fan. I don't show you I'm a Seahawk fan by my actions. I actually wear Seahawk swag, right? You can see that. You can see what people are wearing if they're into a certain hobby or different things, right? I see a Charger fan. You know, that's right there. Why? Because he's wearing a Charger uniform. It kind of lets me know that is his allegiance. That is his alliance. And so if we're grown men and we can wear kids' jerseys, we can be not ashamed about other areas of our lives. And we do. In fact, you come to my house, you know, on any given Sunday the Seahawks are playing, I fly the 12th man flag and so that people can see this house is about the 12th man. So as followers of Christ, you understand there's an opportunity to do the same thing. So you might wear uh, Valley Real Life swag or Jesus swag, you know, is what we would call it, you know, that's emphasizing that. Now, there's a couple other ways, you know, uh, that we have seen that it, God is used in really tremendous ways. First is the VRL bumper stickers, right? The window stickers put in people's car. And I know some of you guys are like, I ain't putting that on my car because I don't drive like a Christian. <laughs> Which is a great reason to put it on your car. Because at least you can tell the person that you're having an interesting discussion with that this is why you need to go to church. 
You know, so you can actually use the negative as a positive. So I'm just saying, you know, you can throw that in your car. The other thing is these, uh, these yard signs. And some of you guys don't know the history of these yard signs. These yard signs started because we understood our culture was in a contentious election of Hillary and Trump. And so all of these, you know, were divisive, you know, with, with everybody in different neighborhoods and streets. So we said, well, why don't we do lifer signs? So we just thought, oh, that'd be like a six-week thing and stuff like that. We put in, well, some of you guys are like, no, I'm not going to just do it six weeks. I'm going to keep it going. Didn't matter, snow, wind, rain, went through a whole season. And so we started seeing that something started happening in our community and people started coming because of these yard signs. In fact, this is not an exaggeration. This really happened within the last year and a half. There's this uh, gal, you know, who was walking with her husband going through an incredibly stressful time in her life. Incredibly stressful. And she, and she, she has not had much of a relationship with God. And so finally she gave in on her walk and she looked up to the heavens and she said, God, if you're really there, I need a sign. <laughs> she literally looked down and saw a lifer sign. She came to church, she accepted Christ, and she got baptized within a month. <laughs> it, ha- it happened. It's true. It actually happened. Now, here's why this is, this is fascinating to me, is because when one person puts a yard sign or a sticker on, it doesn't make that much impact. One person does it, you're like, okay, that person's weird. When hundreds of people do it, it's a movement. And that's what's fascinating about both these things is that you start driving up and down, especially as the weather's getting warmer, going, wait a minute, and here's what we know about people. They want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. So when they start saying, well, I guess all these people go to this lifer place and VRL stickers and what the heck's going on? That's the reason that God uses these things. He uses some of the craziest, craziest things. We can invest and we can invite for sure. But know this, your story is the second greatest story ever told. Your story. See, in our day and age of information, we think we just need to give people the Bibles in hand. We need to give them these tracks that'll help them understand who Jesus is. And not to say that those things are not being used by God to reach people for him, but the greatest apologetic, the greatest proof of who Jesus is in America today is a changed life. People are wondering what works. Don't just throw information. We're information overloaded. They want to know, how is your life different? And if Jesus has made a difference in your life, then I might be open to Jesus making a difference in my life. Your story in Christ is the greatest story, second greatest story ever told. Uh, In fact, here's what I want you to do. Humor me just for a second. Everybody look down at your neighbor's feet. Okay, your neighbor's feet, not your feet, your neighbor's feet. Some of you gals are like, I should have worn different shoes. You know, <laughs> I know how it works. Now, say these words to your neighbor. You have beautiful feet. Say it. You've got beautiful feet. You guys got all got beautiful feet. Some of you guys are like, I just lied in church. You know, I don't know <laughs> what happened here. Reason this is important, Romans 10 says this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him unless they have heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how can anyone go and tell them without being sent? This is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. Do you have beautiful feet? See, if you're a follower of Jesus, part of your purpose in life before we go to heaven is what Christ is doing in you, but through you. And part of you, what God's going to do through you is you sharing your story. And he tells us how to do it. 1 Peter 3.15, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. If someone asks about the hope 
As a believer, always be ready to explain it, but do this with gentle and respectful ways, which is why we would never encourage anyone to stand on street corners condemning people to hell. All right, the big signs that go up and down. And I know if you were like me, you're like, Dan, actually, we don't see much of that anymore. And I, I would say you're exactly right. The modern day version of us on street corners is called social media. How do we come across? In gentle and respectful ways is what Peter says. So two things, in terms of three things on how you share your story, which is God's story through you. Here's the three things, right? Where was I before I accepted Christ? How did I come to faith? What, what, what took place in my life that brought me from here in the direction I was headed to here and where I am now? Where am I now? Okay, where I was in a, as a sinner, you know, far from God, what Jesus did, how he met me, how I came to Christ, and then where am I now, where am I going? That's what people are looking for. That's your story. If you're like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what my story should be. Where were you? And some people think, man, I gotta have this great testimony. You know, I need to be like incarcerated four times and hooked on drugs and all that other kind of stuff. And those people's testimonies are great, but it's almost like, man, I wish I had their testimony. You're nuts. The people who have those testimony are like, you're nuts. They don't want you to have that testimony. Your testimony is your testimony. It's your story. Where was I? Even if you grew up in a Christian house, you still made a decision to follow Christ. At some point in your life, you said, I'm making this decision, and what are you living? How is your life different now? Where I was, what happened, where I am now. That's the unique opportunity that God gives you. Now, I know some of us say, I just don't have the words. I just can't share. And it reminds me of the story where Jesus healed this blind guy, right? He has this blind guy, and, 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 and all, all of a sudden, all the religious leaders came to him and started questioning him. And they just asked him all these hard questions. Well, who, who do you think Jesus is? And are you sure he's the guy? And where did you find him? What's going on? How do you know he's who he says he is? And the blind guy who now can see, all he says is, I don't know. But here's what I do know. I was blind, and now I can see. He didn't have to have all the answers. This is who he was. I was blind. I came encountered with Christ, and now I see. I was blind, Christ, and now I see. I got no other testimony but that one. And so you need to find this man if you want some other you know, conversations to be able to happen. That's our testimony. We were blind. We were in our sin. Christ came to us. Now we can see. We have a different path. We have a different direction. You don't have to know all these things. You just need to share. You know, in our culture, times that people are most ex often accept Christ is before age 12. It's number one. Beyond age 12, especially into the adult years, uh, there's two times that God is going to use you intentionally to uh, help somebody else to be able to see. And the two times are through transition and tragedy. Transition. Uh, those would be things like, uh, I am now done with college and and uh, now I'm kind of getting a real job. You know, uh, transition is I change jobs. Uh, transition, maybe I moved to a different area. I got married. Maybe I had kids. You know, these are all transition points in people's lives where they begin to encounter different people and they're open to a possibility of you in their life and Jesus maybe being a reality for them for the first time. That's, that's one of the times that you see most often when people come to faith. You can look at your story, maybe see that that was similar for you. The second one, this is hard, but it comes through tragedy. It comes through tragedy. 
you know, when, when you have a worldview and when you're living the way, you know, think that you should live and things are going really well and something interrupts that, you lose a job. The economy changes. You go through a divorce. Somebody you love passes away. And you're now at a funeral service and you're for the first time in maybe your whole life, you're actually stopping thinking about maybe there is an afterlife. And there's an opportunity to change the direction, to go from where I was, to be open to Christ, to where I will be. Instead of hearing this from me, this has actually happened to someone in our church recently that I want you to kind of take note of. So go ahead and watch the screen with me now. My relationship over this last year with God is completely different than what I've had in the past, which makes me wonder if I ever had that relationship. I have my friend Amber. She was my first best friend, and we'd gone to McDonald and Evergreen and Central Valley together, and so she was my childhood. As we had gotten older, you know, we still remained in contact, but along the way, we'd had a fracture in our friendship. In October of 2017, I had um, thought to myself I needed to reach out to her. I thought, you know what, I think, and I had even gotten on Facebook, went to her messenger and was getting ready to type out like, just an I'm sorry, let's fix this. And that stubbornness came over me again. And, um, sorry. And she died in February. I realized that now looking back, I think the Holy Spirit was trying to tell me that I needed to have made that apology. And I didn't, I didn't listen. And um, so at her funeral, I didn't feel like I had a right to mourn her. I didn't think that I could sit there and, and, and cry and be sad because I had grown so calloused and I was so spiritually broken. And so I almost mourned being able to mourn. And so, you know, I, I came to her funeral and I sat there at BRL and I, um, I felt kind of like I feel like I cornered myself and it was almost like God was like, what are you gonna do now? How are you gonna fix this? How are you gonna, how are you gonna repair and surrender to me finally? And um, I got home to my husband and he's bald. You know, I just cried and um, I knew I needed to make a change. Something needed to change. And um, because I needed to be able to feel like I could mourn her and I could I couldn't apologize to her. She was gone. You know, how do you fix that? Um, and so we came to BRL. About the time Hester gave her sermon um, in Mother's Day, and she talked a lot about having kind of brokenness and then surrendering, and it was her about her mom, and that that was it for me. That's why I wanted Hester to baptize me because she spoke to me that day, and I realized that it's never too late to have that. You know, you can be however old, you know. I felt even at 34, I'm like, I'm feeling too old, you know. I have four kids, I've, I've done everything wrong. And I was like, it's never too late. And I just made that change, and I started putting peace to everything, you know. I started making my apologies to God and, and asking Him to forgive me. and and building that relationship with him. And that's where that scripture, Psalm 37, 23, and 24. The steps of the godly are directed by the Lord, and he delights in every detail of their lives. And though they will stumble, they will not fall, for the Lord has their hand.
I hope you heard it. Where she was, what Christ did, and the path that she's on now. She was just able to share a testimony through a very horrific and tragic event God used to impact Shelly's life forever. There's a lot of things out there, you know, that can help us in reaching other people for Jesus. Imagine if everybody in this room who is a follower of Jesus said, you know what, I'm gonna make a commitment to try to at least reach one for him, just one person, in the next year, the next year. You can't, you, again, you can't make anybody come to faith. I wanna make sure you understand that. Nobody can come to faith, you know, because you're convincing them. God has to do his work. Our job is just to share, is to invest and to invite in the relationship with God and the relationship with other people. So who is someone God has put in your sphere of influence to share Jesus with and how will you do that soon? And maybe that person is you, that you're Shelly, that you recognize that you've been going through a hard time, that you've been going on a different path and a different direction, and you're recognizing that God brought you here today because of the invitation of a friend, because of somebody else to say, you know what, I'm gonna take that step of faith. I'm gonna be that person. You see, that's the heart of God. Let me just close by telling you this last little story. In Luke 15, tax collectors, it says, and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees, these religious leaders and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and he loses just one of them, will he not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go search for the one that he has lost until it is found. And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home in his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep in the same way. There is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Maybe that person is you. And if it's not you, you know someone that's like that. And God's heart and his passion are for those who don't yet know. So he leaves the 99 to go after the one. That's the kind of reckless love that our God has. It's reckless because you would think, wait, you don't want to sacrifice the 99 in order to go after one. What, you know, what kind of economics is that? And God says, that's my economics. Because eternity weighs in the balance. And life and meaning and purpose weighs in the balance. So I am willing to leave the 99 because they're okay. They have connection with me as their shepherd, as their leader, and so I'm gonna leave them. I'm gonna go after the one. I'm gonna invest, I'm gonna invite, I'm gonna relate, I'm gonna share my story of where I've been, how Christ met me, and what difference that that means for my life today. And so as we sing this song, my invitation for you is if you've not yet put your trust into Jesus, that you would make your way to the cross, and there's gonna be a pastor who'd love to talk to you about that decision. For the rest of us, my prayer is that the song will have a little bit more new meaning. Because many of you have heard this before, but you'd understand this is God's heartbeat. Can it become ours as well? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your love for us. Guide us, lead us. If there's a decision that we need to make on our own hearts, or there's someone you know that you've brought to our minds that you're asking us to reach out to, to love, to be you. Father, thank you for the opportunity that you give us that we've all been there and that you bring us back into relationship with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.